in the ministry by telling the truth. And then he often gets away and goes somewhere so that they don't uh, kill him on the spot because he has a certain time that God has said he would die and it isn't here yet. So he's trying to avoid some conflict. Jesus is three things right now in our text for this morning in 15, 21 to 28. He is tired of the unbelief of the Jews. He is sick and tired that they don't listen anymore and they don't seem to heed anymore and they're not getting the message. He is also in need of avoiding conflict right now because they're starting to talk about putting him to death. So he needs to get away from that conflict once in a while. Today he's going to do that. And that conflict comes from the religious leaders. In verse 12 of chapter 15, uh, it records these words. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you make this statement? Yes, Jesus did know they were offended, and it's that offense that could lead them to do something that he doesn't want to happen yet, and that would be uh, to take him away and kill him. And also, he just needs, the third thing is, he just needs some time away from ministry. We all do. We all sometimes uh, get so involved in ministry, we take a break every once in a while. And Jesus does that today in this text by getting out of town, and he goes where Jews don't like to go, because he's trying to get away from the Jews, so he goes to a place where Jews don't like to go. And Jesus wants to, if you will, as we would say today, he wants to stay off the radar for a little while. But as the Father would have it, it isn't going to happen. He's trying to get away from all the, all the strain of the ministry and get away from the hatred of the Jewish leaders, but he's going to run into some more work that he needs to do. Fortunately, for one particular woman in that town where Jesus is going, God has plans for his son Jesus to help her with her little girl. And we're going to meet her in a minute. All this will happen for her, but not until there is a bunch of discouraging words from Jesus Christ to this lady. And she will also manage to annoy not just Jesus, but the entire core ministry team of the disciples. And she is uh, bothering them, and the disciples get to the point where they say, make her stop. Let's put an end to this. Let's get, let's get through with this. Jesus, do something. And I want us mostly this morning to focus on and I don't know what the woman's name is, but focus on what this woman does. She's not a Jew. She's a Gentile. She's not from Israel. She's from Syrophoenicia. And uh, she's not the kind of person that Jesus was sent to minister to. But I want you to focus on what she does. There is a critical lesson for us in our Christian walk that is taught to us by her. So watch closely. Listen intently to what she does. Now, I have uh, two passages in your bulletin there that I want to read. The first one is the one I have here for this morning, uh, the uh, 1521 to 28. Then I want to go to Mark 7 and read Mark's account of the same thing and uh, see uh, some of the other things that he adds to this information. So I'm reading from the New American Standard. It says in Matthew 15:21, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre, and Sidon. Those are two, two cities on the seacoast. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, O son of David. My daughter is cruelly demonized. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away because she keeps, uh, she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. 
And he answered and he said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. In other words, the demon was sent away. I want you to turn with me now to Mark chapter 7, and let's see how Mark reports this. Because he's going to add a couple of things that I think uh, is good for us to know. And we go to Mark 7 and uh, verse 24. My allergies are killing me, and I can't read. Here we go. All right, try that. Mark 7, 24. Jesus got up and went away from there into the region of Tyre, and when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know it, yet he could not escape notice. That's a God thing. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, a demon, immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She's, in other words, a, a, relentless, uh, a relentless person in pursuing what she wants. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And by the way, the word there for dogs means a little house dog. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, Go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on a bed and the demon having left. I'll refer to that a couple of times as we go through our text this morning. If you're following along in your bulletin, the outline is there. And our first point is this in verse 21. Jesus gets out of town to a place in Phoenicia where the Jews are unlikely to come he's trying to get away from them and they don't want to go into that place because it's a pagan place it's a gentile place and that's not where the religious leaders want to go they don't want to soil themselves with people like that so jesus goes to the area of tyre and sidon if you have a good uh, map in the back of your study bible you can find that uh, and i'll tell you just about where they're on the seacoast they're seacoast cities in the mediterranean in what is called syrophoenicia and these are Gentile cities in that day, and it is now what we would call Lebanon and Syria. Tyre is about 35 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. Sidon is a little bit further north of Tyre and west, about 60 miles of this, from the Sea of Galilee. This is where a lady by the name of Jezebel was from. You remember Jezebel and uh, what she did to wreak havoc in Israel with her foreign gods? Jezebel was from this. She was the wife of King Ahab, who was such a mess and a godless person. Matthew used the Old Testament designation of this area, and he called it Canaan. And that's supposed to clue us into what kind of uh, folks probably lived there. There used to be a lot of Canaanites there. And this is to emphasize the wicked history of the people. These are people who are not generally known as God-seeking people. Uh, they actually go away from God. When we read Mark 7.26, uh, he used the current designation of his day, Syrophoenicia, but emphasized that she was a Gentile. She's not a Jew, and uh, we don't expect her to be spiritual, but she turns out to be that way. The point here is that Jesus is outside of his designated people group that the Father assigned him for his mission. 
Now, you know, take your Bible and turn back to chapter 10 for just a minute. And we're going to read verses 5 and 6. Jesus is sending out the 12. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, notice, do not go in the way of the Gentiles. That would include places like Tyre and Sidon. And do not enter any city of the Samaritans. So every, everything that's in ancient Israel territory, stay out of there as well, north of, of Jerusalem. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, do all those things that they would do on their mission trip. So Jesus wants us to know that the Father sent him to the house of Israel. That means the mission parameters include the people of Israel, but not necessarily the people outside of Israel. Uh, he found a house in this town, and he thought he could get away for a while, uh, get relaxed and refreshed, but he wasn't going to get the rest. That didn't happen. Mark 7.24 says this woman found him in that house. Perhaps she heard some neighbors talking about it. However it is, she found it. He could not escape notice, even though he's in a Gentile area, at least by one Gentile woman who had a need. Verse 22, and by the way, that's referring back to the Matthew passage. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, in other words, she's yelling this, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, which is a messianic designation. This woman's done her homework. She knows something about Jesus. And then she gives what she wants. My daughter is cruelly demonized. So a Gentile woman cried out persistently to David's son for mercy for her little girl. That's exactly what happened in the verse. Here is the foundational explanation for the account Matthew wants us to get and wants us to focus on. In other words, if you want to know what Matthew is trying to get at in this passage, here it is. Matthew is setting the stage for the drama that is going to unfold, and that's where we're going to learn what he wants us to learn. There is a dear woman who needs some help desperately. Apparently, nobody in Tyre or Sidon can help her. Nobody knows anything about demons or how to get rid of them. Nobody can help her with that. And her little girl is being tormented. She is desperate. And she has set her sights on Jesus. Today, we would say that uh, he is in her radar or she has honed in on him and nothing is going to stop her. Do you ever look at Jesus and have a need and nothing can stop you from getting his attention? But the plot thickens for her with the description of the woman's origin. She is of Canaanite descendancy. Well, what did God say about that in the Old Testament? I want you to look at Exodus 23, 23 with me for a minute. Genesis, Exodus, and chapter 23 and verse 23. They are declared enemies of God in verse 22. Verse 23 says, For my angel will go out before you, and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. What that means is that in the Old Testament, God put those seven nations under the ban. They were to be completely destroyed out of the land of Israel. People on the outside of that boundary were not to be completely destroyed, but in there they had come to the place where the cup of God's wrath was full against them, and God is bringing judgment on them for their wickedness. So they're in the ban, but here's a woman. Somehow Canaanites escaped that. Israel didn't do their job, and this woman who's a Canaanite is now uh, looking to Jesus for help. God placed them under the ban, but here she is. 
Remember Mark's emphasis that she is a Gentile woman. He wants us to understand this is outside of what Jesus went to do. That's why he went there, was to get away from uh, this kind of ministry. She is crying out. She's yelling out to Jesus and calls him by his messianic designation. How did she know that? Well, she did her homework. She yells out, Lord, son of David, which is a messianic designation for Jesus Christ. Somehow, this Gentile woman who is from Syrophoenicia knows that Jesus is the son of God. He is the Messiah. And so she calls him this. You don't call Jesus this in, in Israel if you don't mean it because you could get put to death for that by the Pharisees. So don't miss the contrast that Matthew wants us to see. We're in the book of Matthew. He's the one we're concerned with. What is he trying to tell us? Well, the Pharisees refuse to believe that he is the Messiah, but a Gentile woman entire, no less, recognizes him easily for who he truly is. So the religious leaders don't get it. A Gentile woman entire gets it. She's done her homework somehow, or somebody's talked to her, or she's been down in Israel for some reason, which probably wouldn't be a normal thing to do. It doesn't tell us, but she is a very much a woman who knows who this man is. And she is wanting to connect with Jesus Christ because of what she needs for her little girl. She's crying out for mercy because her little girl is demonized. Now, your little girls may not be demonized. They might be. But you need to ask yourself, if this was your girl, moms, what would you be willing to do? She's crying out for mercy, and the things must be pretty bad at home with this girl because she says she is cruelly demonized. In other words, the demon is beating her up, and in beating her up, she's beating up the family. And this means that she is severely tormented by this demon. I would like to have a little girl like that, completely controlled by a demon, tormented by a demon. She can't function. She can't do anything. It's going to disrupt the entire family. Mom would cry about that. And by the way, uh, do you think that this can happen anymore to our children? Of course it can, and it does. If you would have been her, how, would you, how hard would you try to get to Jesus to help you? What would you do? to get to Jesus. Watch what is coming. If I counted correctly, <clears throat> this woman will be rejected by Jesus no less than three times. Jesus is basically going to say, no, no, no. Uh, and her request is, please, please, please help my little girl. I just wonder about us in that. Would we have given up by now? Would we have given up, say, after number one try, Say, well, this guy doesn't care about me. I'm done. Well, what about the second try? Would you give up? The third try? Would you give up then? This woman kept at it. And Jesus said no to her three different times, but she wouldn't quit. I know people that pray for something they want from God one time. If they don't get it, they quit. That's not, that's not biblical. That's not what God wants us to do. So in verses 23 to 27... About this woman, we learn this. Though being rejected by Jesus three times, the woman persists in her faith and does not give up. That's what Matthew wants us to know. She persisted by faith before Jesus. You get that? That's for us. We're supposed to do that too. Well, first, Jesus did not answer a single word to the woman. <laughs> the disciples can hear her yelling, 
I know Jesus could hear, hear her yelling. And she's following them in the city, and she finds him in the house, and she's crying out, Lord, help me, assist me with my little girl. And it's clear that Jesus heard her because uh, of the response of his ministry companions, the disciples, and their reaction. The disciples implore Jesus, which means they strongly urge him, God, do something about this. Take care of this woman. We're tired of it. She won't stop yelling at us. Send her away. They want it to end because she's shouting at them from behind them. Might be kind of you know, an embarrassment walking in a new town, place you don't go very often. You got this woman running behind you, yelling at them, and they'd like it to stop. Now, some scholars argue that what their action meant was that they either wanted the annoyance to stop or they wanted Jesus to heal the little girl and then end the onslaught by the woman. If the second choice is true, then the disciples are indicating that they have no problem with Jesus helping a Gentile woman. You could say Gentile man. He doesn't have a problem with it. I don't know. Text doesn't say it. Either way, Jesus does not answer her at this point. What would you do if you were seeking his help and he wouldn't even answer you? Have you ever sought his help and he wouldn't answer you? <laughs> have you ever cried out to Jesus and said, why won't he answer me? Why, don't he, why doesn't he tell me? Why doesn't he give me the answer that I want? And that's where some people say, all right, I guess you don't care. Or you can't help me. And they walk away. And they quit asking. Jesus wasn't answering a word. He ignored her on purpose. In verse 24, Jesus next rebuffs her plea by making the statement in the hearing of his disciples, that he was sent only to the house of Israel, and she's a Gentile. So number one, he wouldn't listen to her. Number two, he says, uh, I wasn't sent to you. You're not a part of the mission God gave me. And that's, again, that Matthew 10, 5, and 6 that we read. You're not in the mission dossier, and so I'm not going to worry about you. How do you think she felt inside? How do you think she was thinking in her heart, when Jesus said to her, I didn't come to help people like you. Now, he didn't say it exactly that way, but that's what it means. I'm not here to help people like you. And he's still walking, right? She knows pretty clearly that she is not an Israelite. He didn't have to point it out. And she may be wishing at this point she was an Israelite, because maybe he would listen to her. Uh, maybe she knew the account of Naaman and Elisha which I would like us to read. Let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. And I'll just say, instead of Naaman, I'll say Naaman, because that's how we're used to it. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to read down through the end of that section, verse 14. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, so get it right off the bat. He's a Gentile. He was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him, notice Yahweh, the Lord, that's Yahweh's name, had given victory to Aram. Now, the king of Aram is not a Yahweh worshiper, neither is the land of the Arameans. And the man was a valiant warrior, but he also had leprosy. So he's a Gentile, he has leprosy, so he shouldn't even be around other people in Israel. Get on the outskirts of town, don't come in the middle here. And he is a valuable warrior to the king of Aram, who, who really likes the guy. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. 
and she waited on Naaman's wife. So they capture a little girl in one of their raids on Israel. They bring her back, and she becomes uh, the person that waits on this man's wife as a servant girl. She said to her mistress, here's a little... How do, you, how do you be a little girl who's taken from your family to serve a foreigner and you care about him? She did. She must have loved Yahweh. She said, I wish that my master, Naaman, was with the prophet who was in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went and told his master. So he goes to tell the king of Aram. Thus and thus, this is how a girl spoke who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, go now. And I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothes. This is a gift for, for him being listened to. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, And now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now this is the king, mind you. And the king of Israel read the letter, tore his clothes, and said, Am I God? to kill and to make alive, that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel with, against me. He said, he's not here because of leprosy. He's trying to find a, a chink in our armor here and attack us. And he was upset about that. Well, um, it happened that Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, so send Naaman to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came, I said I wouldn't say that, and Naaman came and his horse and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent messengers to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. The most powerful general in the Aramean army <laughs> pulls up to the doorstep of the prophet, and he's got his chariots with him. This could be a little bit threatening. And the prophet, Elisha, says, go tell him to go dip himself seven times in the Jordan. And he doesn't even come out of the house. doesn't even see the guy face to face. And this offends Naaman. So Naaman's there, Elisha sent messengers, but Naaman was furious, and he went away and he said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out uh, and say to me and stand to me and call on the name of Yahweh his God and wave his hand over me in this place and cure my leprosy. He said, I thought there'd be a little show here going on. Nothing. And then he thinks to himself and he says, Are not Abana? And Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the water in Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he, in rage, he turns around and he goes his way. He goes his way. Then his servants came while he's on his way, and they came near to him and they spoke and they said, "My father, had the prophet told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he says to you, wash and be clean?" So he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. There was a point in there when Naaman had faith, and he decided to give up his stubbornness and do what the prophet told him to do. 
And sometimes we don't like the way God treats us or what he says or how he's acting with us, and we decide, I'm out of here. (laughs) And Naaman changed his mind. We can always all change our mind and do what's right and follow God. This lady that we're talking about, boy, she never had a second thought about what she wanted and what she was going to do. So let's go back to her. And I want to ask you the question, if, if you were her, what would you be thinking right now? Jesus won't talk to me, and he just reminded his disciples right in front of me that I'm not a part of his mission parameters. It's not in the dossier. It's not in the plan. And she is not one of the mission's target people. That's just basically what Jesus said to her. Would you be mad right now like Naaman if you were her? Would you be entertaining thoughts of telling Jesus what you think? In verse 25, she doesn't give up. That's what Matthew's trying to tell us. She doesn't give up. On the contrary, she pushes in closer to the son of David. She gets on her knees in a worship position before Jesus, and she is fully submitted. And she says, Lord, assist me. Verse 26. Jesus finally speaks to her, and it is not what she's hoping for. This is the third time. What does she have to do to get Jesus to have mercy on her little girl? What does she have to do? Jesus tells her that it's not good to take spiritual food. That's what he's talking about, bread from the children's table that was sent to Israel. That's him. He is the the bread of life. And give it to a non-Israelite. And Jews often thought of Gentiles as dogs. And Jesus used the word dog. And it's a pretty pointed rejection for a third time. Would you have given up now? She's on her knees. She's begging him. And he says, you know what? It's not right for me to take the spiritual bread of life that was meant for the children and give it to dogs. And that means little house dogs. Well, would you have said, how dare you disrespect me like that? Why don't you treat me with decency? I've had it. Jesus had just likened her people to little house dogs. But this gal has a rebuttal for the scenario. She agrees with Jesus and takes a very humble position in the discussion. But Jesus, she says, even the house pet dogs get to eat crumbs from the master's table. Now, many believe there is an eschatological reference here to the banquet of the Lord at the beginning of the millennium. I don't know if you, how you could prove that or not, but it's certainly going to be true because Matthew 8.11 says that in the kingdom they will come from all over the earth at that time so they can sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and eat a meal with them. Well, Jesus paints a picture of Gentiles dining with Abraham and the patriarchs, and I don't know if this lady knew that or not, but she's going to hang in there. Even the crumbs are life-giving to those outside the main table of Israel. The Gentiles will also feast at the table of Messiah. This woman believes who Jesus is. She didn't know this because it wasn't written yet, but in Romans 1.16, he says, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel. There is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first. And there he says, and also to the Greek, meaning the Gentiles. This Gentile woman has the exact kind of faith that Jesus has been looking for where at? In Israel. Can't find it. Can't find it. So Jesus rewards persistent faith. 
And uh, there's, I don't have a verse for that. It's for the whole thing. Jesus rewards persistent faith. Where do you think we're going to go with this? Is your faith persistent? How easily do you give up? Do you keep trying? Do we see what happened here? Jesus set three discouraging obstacles in front of a, a mom who was in desperate need of assistance for the freedom of her little girl from demonization. The scene is that no Israelite, I'm sorry, the sense is that no Israelite would have persisted this long to get healing from Jesus. Remember Cornelius? Remember the Gentile centurion who wouldn't give up and believed in God? That's what Jesus said. I haven't found faith like this in all of Israel. In Israel, the leaders can't get past Jesus, not upholding their tradition of hand washing. They wrote him off and want to put him to death because of that. Do we see that this dear woman was not going to give up getting healing from Jesus? I like the way he put that. Getting healing from Jesus. I often tell people you need to be saved from your sins. And I wonder, do you have any clue what I'm talking about? You know, what, do you, what do I mean by that? I, I like this. You are sick spiritually. In fact, Ephesians 2.1 says you're dead in your spirit and, and your sin. How would you like healing for that? That's what Jesus does. He heals those who are sick spiritually. I like that. Anyway, she wants that healing, and they, uh, they can't get past all the uh, miracles that Jesus does and see who he really is. Do we see that this dear woman is not going to give up until her daughter is healed? In contrast to her, the religious leaders in Israel can't wait to kill the man. Having set an example that will condemn unbelieving Israelites on their judgment day, Jesus grants her desire. Did you hear that? Gave it to her. Testing her faith was an example of faith for us all and a witness against the Jews. Uh, I'm not going to take time to read it, but Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 uh, is where we get the words that the Israel is not going to listen to Jesus. They're not going to see. And the issue here is, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Then you pursue Jesus. Jesus was completely impressed with her faith. A Gentile. <laughs> not, not open to being around Jesus and his teaching. Hundreds and thousands have been. Look at the way she responds. Jesus is completely impressed with her faith and sends the demon out of, his, out of her little girl. Mark says she went home and found the little girl sleeping peacefully in her own bed. That hasn't happened for a long time. Jesus didn't have to go there. He didn't wave his hand or say some incantation because that's not, that's not what God does. He just said, it's gone, and it was gone. Dr. Keener uh, shares an insight here that I thought would be good for us. He said, and I quote, both men and women in old and in the gospel tradition show courage by refusing to take no for an answer to a desperate need. When they recognize that we have nowhere else to turn, clinging to the only one who can answer us is an act of faith. Certainly so. Friends, Jesus is our only hope, right? In healing. Whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual, it's got to be Jesus. No one else can help. There is nowhere else you can go that would be better than going to Jesus. 
Now, do you think that Jesus sometimes put obstacles in your way when you're trying to demonstrate your faith? Now, what I just asked you was, have you been one of these people that you have asked and you have prayed and you've cried out to God and he just doesn't seem to be answering and things don't go the way you want them to and and you're you're tempted to either uh, give up or go on? And this woman goes on. And she goes on and she gets what she wanted. The whole point is Jesus does test our faith. And he wants to see what we're made of. Do you really believe in him? Do you really trust him? Do you really think after three rejections, four rejections, five rejections, ten rejections that he still loves you? That he still cares? I don't know how far this lady would have gone. But I'd say she'd go at least that far. Jesus tests our faith. Look over at John chapter 6 verse 6. Jesus is capable of doing anything, anytime he needs to or he wants to. John 6, verse 6. Jesus lifted up his eyes in verse 5, seeing that there was a large crowd coming to him. And he said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. I think the first time Jesus heard this woman cry out, he knew what he was going to do. (laughs) She didn't. The first time you cry out, Jesus heard you. You may not think that he did, but he did. And he's your only hope for healing. Why would he test your faith? Because faith is powerful. And faith is what you need. Fear kills faith. We're supposed, to be, we're supposed to be people of faith in God, not people of fear. If God decides to see what you are made of, or I am made of spiritually and test your faith, how is it that you or I will do with that? Will we give up and walk away, or will we stay with Him and have persistent faith? That's the whole issue. Would you give up after round one? Would you give up after round two? Would you give up after round three? Where's your line? There should be no line where Jesus is concerned. Listen, genuine faith does not waver. Did you hear that? Genuine faith does not waver and cannot be discouraged. Genuine faith does not waver and cannot be discouraged. A fake faith reveals itself in round one. A fake faith reveals itself in round one. I speak to myself as well as you, but does your faith demonstrate a relentless resolve? Genuine faith does. Can we encourage ourselves to have faith like the Syrophoenician lady? I think we should. That's the point of this. We don't always know how Jesus is working, do we? We don't always understand why it's not yet or why doesn't he do it now, but we can always trust him and not give up. Roadblocks, no big deal. We will persist and trust through them all and believe in Jesus. We have some applications where I want to reinforce some of these things that we've been talking about. And the first one is, if you'll go to Luke 18. This one happens to be about prayer. That's one of our tougher ones, right? I want you to know that sometimes you have to wait because it's a part of God's program, a part of his plan for you. You might be testing your faith. 
Here's a, another lady who needs help from a king. Now he was telling them a parable in uh, Luke 18.1 to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Don't give up. Don't walk away. And here it is. Saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him and saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this woman bothers me, I will give her her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This kind of faith. This kind of faith. Persevering faith. A faith that doesn't give up. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Again, that's in your bulletin. Galatians 6 verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. You see, what the, you see what the New Testament life with Christ is about? Persevering. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't believe the lie from, from Satan that, say, that God does not care about you. That is always a lie. And then the last one is found in Hebrews 12.3. And it says this, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. That's about Jesus. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The last place you want to lose heart is with Jesus. So what Matthew is teaching us is don't let the obstacles derail your faith or your confidence in God. God can also move the obstacle, and he likes to do that based on your resolve to have faith in him. Jesus, thank you for putting a lady like this in the text. Because we know how she feels. We want to be like her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have to admit that if we don't get what we want from you right away, Sometimes we act like Naaman. Sometimes we act like other people that give up on God and say, I'll find my answer somewhere else. God doesn't care. We don't want to be people like that. We want to be people who have an undying faith in you, who persist in that faith, who don't get easily discouraged if you don't give us what we are asking for right away but continue to trust you, to persevere, and wait and see the deliverance of the Lord. We just want to thank you that you are a God who cares about us like you cared about that woman. Thank you for her illustration of faith. May we be like her. We ask it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.